0: a second parcel yeah, and it's not ringing enough for me
1: uh all right well, let's gabble this to order then um yuko asada my partner in crime um it Hello. is good to, good to see you again and we're coming off of your um the niu steel band program had their concert today that was amazing and it was all live streamed and i think is there folks can check that out on the uh niu uh, facebook page or is there another link?
0: Not yet, but eventually we'll make the videos available
1: Great. Um, and our guest here, the illustrious Matt Dudak, uh, who's been a good friend of of, uh, of Yuko's and mine for, for 20, for me, 20 years now. Matt, I think almost 20 years now. I think I met you like in two, th- well, no, over 20 years, right? Over 20
2: I- uh, Let's see. When did you come to Akron? 2001? Yeah, no, I, I came uh, in 2000, 2000, Paul, 2000.
1: Yeah. So, wow. oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I- that's more depressing. I I've thought I thought I thought it was only twenty. Now it's like 22, 21 years. Okay, that's um, depressing
2: It's 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 beautiful.
1: It is. Um. Well, the uh. Well, I, in in the interest of full disclosure, I was a student of Matt's at the University of Akron. Um. And uh, but we're gonna. I think Yuko and I were wanting to talk with you in particular today because you have directed the um the student program at the University of Akron. Again, like I just said, I studied there and, and, and am a product of that program. Uh, and I don't know how new into running the band at that time you were.
2: I, I started in, uh, fall of 1998.
1: Okay. So you would have been like,
2: you know, third, second, third year kind of run things.
1: You know? Okay. Um, and just uh, and the sort of lead up to me meeting you and sort of realizing that like a job that you have is a thing that can happen in the world. You know, my, my, my teacher in high school was Joan Wenzel, who also um, unbeknownst to me kind of in high school had a huge connection to Cliff. I mean, I met Cliff through her, um, <coughs> but she was really who recommended that I go study at the University of Akron for the steel band program in particular. And when I got there, I kind of realized like, oh, through then getting to further know Cliff, and realizing what he was doing at at NIU Um, and then sort of learning about these connections. I was like, Oh, this is, there's something serious happening here and I'm not quite sure what, and it seemed like things were going. And now 21 years later, I'm like, Holy smokes. (laughs) Like, like there's a lot happening there. And I, so I think Matt maybe just for my big question to start us off and we can go in any direction we want is just tell me a little bit about your, how you got involved with that, that program in particular to run the band and then Uh, maybe give us a brief sort of history of like, what, how did that program come to fruition?
2: Okay, so I really go, my my sort of history goes back to the early 80s, because my, where I I learned steel drums was at the the University of Hartford at the Art School of Music, and my freshman year was Ben Toth's first year, and Ben was, of course, you know, I think he was in the band in 1980 to 81. He was in the, one of the first bands along with, you know, Tom Miller and Bob Benora and Jack Butcher and Joan Wentzel and all mm-hmm. those guys. Yeah. So, so Ben, you know, had gone off after Akron and, and went to Illinois and then ended up in Cincinnati where he started the steel band and then came to the Hart school to take over for uh, Al Lipack when Al Lipack retired. Mm-hmm. Um, incidentally, the person who was there as an intern for one year was Jonathan Haas. Um, at the Hart School and um, uh, So Ben as a as a freshman for me Ben started the steel band program at Hart. You know there wasn't the steel band there and I was there as a music ed major mm-hmm. and It's funny actually uh, Jonathan Haas has a lot to do with me being right here right now with you guys because Jonathan I, I auditioned for him at uh, he was down at uh, uh, What's the, uh, Peabody Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. down there Peabody and I just auditioned down there and he suggested you know You should really consider the Hart School you know, and I don't know if he knew anything, and in you know whether Ben was on the way in or whatever, or just you know. So he said you should really think about it. And this uh, is just
1: it, sort of giving me like chills a little bit. Like I, I didn't, I had no idea about that. I mean, Matt, I've, like I said, I've known you for 21 years, and I didn't yeah. have any idea that that you had that connection to Jonathan. And just so folks who don't know Jonathan Haas, he he started the percussion program from scratch at NYU, New York University, and as part of that sort of like we have to buy timpani and xylophones and, and a chimes and woodblocks, steel drums were part of that first package so it was all part of the first sort of thing I think it was 2005 so anyway that's
2: yeah so so I auditioned you know at a few schools for undergrad and um you know he accepted me at Peabody as a music head major he said you should really consider the Hart school and I said okay well sure <laughs> and I had been studying it in high school with a um, one of students named Rose Small, Dr. Rosemary Small, who incidentally is, you know, small world kind of thing. She studied with Al Leapak, but she also studied with Saul Goodman. So she mm-hmm. was she was a great teacher, um, you know, as far as classical profession. And so I knew her at the Hart School. But, you know, I came to Hart as a freshman. Ben started the steel band. And I, as a freshman, I wasn't allowed to play pan. I played in the engine room because all the upperclassmen played pan because it was only – the only pans we had were Ben's personal pans. You know he when he got the job there he ordered pants from cliff they arrived my second year and that's where i was allowed to play you know pan for real i, I think the first tune i ever played was somebody uh annie Norrell or tom miller's arranging of somebody and i played double tenor and i just remember being so scared of overplaying because you know ben didn't know when these pans were gonna get re- you know get tuned and this one f like you looked at it and it went what? you know just kind of screamed at you every time you touched it and so i i remember that uh pretty vividly and then so went through the whole program at heart you know it's getting a music head degree and wanted to continue with um uh a, with a performance degree and get more into playing and mm-hmm. so i was actually at the heart school at the same time as kyle dunleavy as well we shared a mm-hmm. recital together um we did a uh, i did a senior recital he was a junior uh, music management major and we did um, uh, a recital. I, it wasn't required for me because I was music yet, but we did a recital together, and we were good friends and played together all the time. And uh, so then looking for grad schools, you know, I looked at Illinois, Northern, um, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Ithaca, and Akron, all which had very good PAN programs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it, it kind of came down to money. I needed an assistantship. I was accepted everywhere. And uh, I, but I, like I said, I need money. And, and Dr. Snyder, I had a, uh, a gut feeling with him, you know, mm-hmm. he kept calling me and you know, when are you gonna, when you gonna decide, when are you gonna decide this kind of thing? And he's like, well, we got this person coming and this guest artist coming, this guest artist. I'm like, all right. feels like
1: ready. Larry, Larry, so, sorry, uh, Dr. Snyder, um, Larry, Dr. Uh-huh. Larry Snyder it feels like that's a common, you know, cliff, Cliff Alexis mentioned that one of the things that Larry did was constantly call him. Yeah. He never stopped calling.
2: Yeah, I remember him calling me like, hey, we've got Nancy Zeltzman coming in the fall, blah, 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 and I'm like, okay, well, let me let me think about it. And what's funny is that when I, when I was trying to decide, I did my tour like around spring break mm-hmm. uh, of, of graduate schools, and um, Ben had just been on tour as well, doing, I think, a tour with Dave McBride, and they went to a whole bunch of schools in the Midwest, too, and they went to Northern, And he's like, all right, you know, we sat down on the lesson. When I we both got back into town, he's like, all right, what'd you decide? And I said, well, I'm really leaning towards Akron. And he's like, he's like, I kind of thought you were gonna say that, but he's like, I he was so impressed with Northern Illinois and what what they had going on there in terms of all of the world music they were doing, besides Mm -hmm. their classical percussion, of course, the steel band. But um, you know, he supported my decision. He knew I would be a good fit in Akron, and you know, he knew Dr. Snyder, and um, you know, he still uh, gives doc a lot of, um, you know, uh, praise and whatnot. Um, so so came out, you know, did my master's at Akron, and um, Rick Cares was directing the steel band at the time, uh, Dr. Rick Karaz, Richard Carrez, and uh, he was, he had finished his master's at Akron. He was working as an adjunct, but then um, uh, after 98, let's see, spring of 98, uh, which is where the first time I met Liam Teague. Um, he was our guest artist because we couldn't get Boogsy into town uh, for some, some sort of reason. I don't remember what it was. We had Ray Holman in, in my first year, and then the second year was uh, would have been Boogsy, but he couldn't make it. So we had Liam on deck, and Liam you know came and obviously did an amazing job as our yeah. guest artist. And um, I think that was the oh, I had met Cliff the year before, but um, yeah. At this point, I, I knew I was taking over the band in the spring of '90. Eight at that concert, and so Rick had kind of like, uh, he's like, "You have to deal with Cliff because this is going to be your future," you know. And so uh, I'm like, "All right, well, I, you know, I can take care of this guy and, and do whatever you know wants." Him. And uh, uh, he he was definitely Cliff was pushing my buttons at this point, you know, testing the water to see what I was made of, and you know, all these ridiculous not ridiculous you know demands like you know. We want to do this. We want to do this. We want to do this. Let's let's do an arrangement of this. We need a drummer. We, you know and like he, all this stuff last minute. Rick was just like hands off. He's like it's your gig, you know. So that was fun. But uh, so after that, you know, Rick went to, to do uh, graduate work to finish his uh, doctorate at um, Illinois. So uh, Snyder offered me the the job, and I so with that I inherited the University of Akron position as well as um, the Miller South Steel Band. Um, the middle school band in town. So, and so
1: this was ni- This was 1998,
2: correct? Yeah, I, I started both of those like full um, uh, fall of 98. Okay.
0: Did Middle South already have a steel band? Yeah, th-
2: that that band was started. I think I want to say 1993 is when the school was started, and the steel band was part of the original design uh, of the school. They had, I think, the first person to run the steel band might have been Angel. Um, Vice. Bice. More. I don't remember where her last name was at that point. I think it was Bice's original okay. maiden name. Okay. But she was running the band for a year or two, and then I think Rick took over. You know, shortly thereafter, and then you know I took it over in fall '98. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I
1: mean, mean, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say like one of the things that uh, I'm. Uh, the connection to Cliff, I mean, Yuko and I did a a, a podcast for this specifically talking about Cliff, um, but sort of, you know, Ben Toth, I mean, this connection to the University of Akron in particular, I mean, I, I NIU, I mean, it's interesting watching NIU's concert today and seeing, it's like, yeah, it's a whole stage full of pans built by one person, you know? Yeah. And there's a sound yeah. to that band. And then, you know, if, and of course, like, students have maybe their own personal pans that weren't built by Cliff or whatever, but... Same goes for the University of Akron, and there's a certain sound there. And I, I'm just wanted to highlight that Cliff Alexis, sort of in addition to Larry Snyder and the sort of vision there, Cliff, there's a lot of influence and a lot of like oh definitely from Cliff there that that
2: I think you know I'd be besides NIU I can't t- I don't know of another steel band that's of our age, 41 years, that's been tuned by one individual. Well, the second one is right here. You know, what, what other bands have been tuned? I, I know Cliff didn't do it every year. There's a couple of years he had some health issues okay. uh, and whatnot, but I mean, he tuned him at least, I would say 38 times, yeah, you know, I over mean, the course of its history.
0: Some schools in Illinois, like their community college, um, you know, in this area that Cliff tuned for many, many years uh but outside of illinois yeah i'd say like akron he used to go to humboldt state right but not every single year so yeah but akron i know he was going every. right and
2: you know it's like it's like if you have a if you yeah, Dover and like if you have a classic car and you're taking to the same mechanic for 40 years i mean you know that thing's going to be tuned up just right yep you know so that's why i think it had that that band has a, a distinct uh distinct sound or timbre you know um I know, Bill Juhasz would come in and he would he would hear the pans and just be like blown away. He's like, this is such a unique sound um, compared to other bands.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hear Cliff Pan and like, you know it right away. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's Cliff. And then like when you tune it too, like how he approached uh, tuning, <clears throat> you know, was unique. So mm-hmm. yeah, so you can, yeah, definitely see and hear. Uh,
2: yeah, cool. and, and a lot of our pans, you know, they're, what i find interesting about our band is you have you can almost see the the um the development of his tuning technique yeah from from the you know our double tenor and the seconds and the cello and two sets of the bass are 1979 1980 mm-hmm. and he built them a certain way as, as you know yuko that it's like they have this particular they're, they're built this way you have to address them this way you can't try and apply mm-hmm. you know pans built the technique he used in the '90s to those drums—they don't—they don't work that way, you know. Right. They don't have a catalytic converter, you know. So that you gotta like really tricky, right? Yeah, and, and so it's—it's it, it's, yeah, it's a matter of figuring, and understanding like, okay, this is what it is, what it is right here. So I can't try and and change timbre or make it something else, but you can still blend it so it works within the full context, you know. Right. Um, you know, whereas half the pans are. Uh, newer you know they're from post-1990s uh, you know later so it's interesting i just i
1: mean sorry to interrupt but this is kind of a question for yuko actually all this i mean that conversation and i i have questions that i, I fear are going to take us even more down to like inside baseball here <laughs> that's going to lose some people they're going to be like okay moving on like but the i'm curious like the cliffs tuning style in particular the the drums that the more tuners i get to know the more and the more i get to know for like kyle dunleavy builds the drums that i play and i he's the person i tune that tunes my drums like i don't let anybody else tune them you know it's the same sort of approach and i learned that from cliff like that's a that's one of those things that you just mentioned but i'm curious if the specific like touch of cliff's drums like the sort of range in which they sound the best sort of is why those bands all sound, I don't want to say they all sound the same, but why there's a specific vibe that you, you can't bring to a cliff pan the same way you can bring, and vice versa, like there's some, there's, I'm curious, I don't have a, this, I'm not asking this question well, but do you feel like his tuning style in particular sort of lends itself to that His particular mind. touch
0: yeah so you know when I first uh started to learn you know how steel pan building and tuning is done by Dr uh Elie Monette um how he would set up the note like uh before he starts to tune was more symmetrical in comparison to Cliff so Cliff went by like how the steel itself reacted so he would shape according to that each note like depending on like how it would respond so so um like each note may not be shaped the same but he would um shape it like he would work with that note area to make it work the best it can and um so
2: it's not very cookie cutter it's more of like you look at the steel that's given and you you deal with it in,
0: In those specific ways. Yeah. That's why it took me a while <laughs> to even understand that uh concept because how Ellie showed me was, you know, like easier to understand. It made more sense. So are you saying Cliff Alexis is complicated? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know <laughs> him so well. So oh he was definitely complex, but you know, um that made who he was. Well, yeah, yeah I have
1: I have some some when you were mentioning um Matt, about the, like, the sort of ridiculous requests, like, I realize now as a 41-year-old that the reason Cliff made me specifically get the Egg McMuffins with no sausage and no egg but just the cheese (laughs) and a Diet Coke, and then when I forgot it was supposed to Diet Coke, he made me go get another one, like, was because he knew I would never survive in Trinidad if I couldn't do this, you know? Like, it's like, it's kind of a, like... If you're not willing to do this, I
2: I'll just it's move a tra- on. Yeah, it's you know, a training like it's ground. Right, there's
1: a lot of other people I can do this with, and if you can't
2: do it, oh yeah, I mean, I, I got I got so many stories. I mean, Cricks. I, I he, calls, he calls me up at 10 p.m. Yeah. on a Wednesday and says, "Matt, I need Cricks." I'm like, cricks. "What the hell is Cricks?" Right, right. He's like, "You might know them as Ritz." <laughs> and bet. so I'm like, he's staying at the you know hotel by the university. I'm like, all right. Let me go. I go to the gas station that's open. You know the Speedway that's open twenty four hours. I'm like, you got Ritz in here, and they're like, yeah, sure, okay, great. Get it. I go to the lobby. I'm like, Cliff, I'm, you know, I got your cricks. I give it to him. He, he's like, thanks. And then he just goes back up to his room. <laughs> and you know, yeah. and, You know, another time he's like, we, we we have to go get TSA locks. I'm like, where the hell do you get TSA locks? You know, it's like, oh, you got to go like a luggage store. So we had to go to the mall. So here I am, you know, we got our locks and now we're sitting in the, in the mall food court eating Sabaro, me and Cliff, you know, <laughs> eating pizza. And, uh, you know, the best story I think is, is when we had uh relator in town and Narrell and we did the, the DVD, the Hammer on Steel, you know, it's the day of the concert. So my phone is, the ringer's on because I never know what kind of calls I'm going to come across and I'm in the shower like Saturday morning getting ready for sound check at noon and the phone ring while, while I'm in the shower. So I get out of the shower, get cleaned up, whatever. And I look and it's cliff and he leaves a message, you know, I call him back he's like, he's like, relator needs bourbon. <laughs> and I'm like, so I don't ask any questions. I'm like, all right, what kind of bourbon does he want? You know, cause he had just come from a gig in Kentucky. So he had a bunch of bourbon. And uh, so I said, all right, well, I'll get him some Maker's Mark or whatever, you know. I don't know. I'll, I'll, it's just, this is just a routine thing, concert day, you know, of the steel <laughs> band. It's good. like, you know, you know, I mean, Ray Holman was another one who was always got, like, you know, I need ginseng and mango. I'm like, Ray, it's, it's 1997 in, in Akron, Ohio. We don't have mangoes. You know, <laughs> you know. Now we do, but it's like, come on, man. And and, and royal jelly—that was another one. I need royal jelly. I'm like, what the hell is that? So anyway. Well, but yeah. Yeah, sorry to get. But us you're right. In. It's like it's like a test. It was like a test, like a, like a, almost like a loyalty test in a way, um, to see what you're like. He's like, all right, I'm gonna mess with this guy a little bit, and see what he's made of. Well, and there were thing- times, you know, times too where I'm just like, you know, come on, Cliff. Really? really. <laughs>
1: I, the, the times I was, I had the first time I met Cliff, I had to pick him up at the airport with Jeff and we were in that, I don't know what that big, like Cutlass Supreme car or whatever it was. that Jeff Oh, had. Jeff's
2: big old, uh, his Cadillac.
1: Yeah. <laughs> just this massive boat of a car. And yeah. and Dr. Snyder just said, go to Cleveland airport and pick up Cliff Alexis. And we're like, is he have a picture? Anything? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, you like- can't miss him. like you yeah you're right he'll be holding a strobe tuner i was like okay like any suitcases no no just a strobe tuner that's it you know and so like we're okay so we pull up and cliff gets in the car and he just is like i need a haircut (laughs) and we're like hi i'm josh and he's like (laughs) nice car (laughs) (laughs) and then you know and then i've told the story many times in the podcast then he made he, he made us go to a black barber shop and and it was told us why, like, he can't get his hair cut. And, I, and this is the first, like, this is where I was learning. Yeah. You know, and this is where I, I kind of want to transition into the teaching aspect of Cliff. Like, I really feel like, you know, I have these people all over in my life who are like, somebody's a really great teacher, but isn't so personable. Somebody's a really great educator, but lacks in this other area. And you just sort of piece all these, the good things from all of them together to try to learn, right? But Cliff in particular, in that moment, I felt was like, <laughs> He realized in that moment. He's like, these guys know nothing, and if they won't do this, this is how this is how we're gonna learn together. And so, like, he, we went and I he, we walk into that black barbershop, shop, and he just says, "Sit here and say nothing."
2: Was this like, in Akron? Was, that, was in it Akron, a barber yeah. in Akron? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. In a place in a, you know, again, like I'm. This is my freshman year at Akron. You know, University of Akron. I don't know anybody. I don't know where I'm living. I'm living with, well. I'm living with Bill Salik. Like, I don't. I, the, the world is chaos to me. There's no YouTube. I can't Google who Cliff is before we go pick him up. I don't know. And I just sit there for two hours, watch him get his haircut for about 15 minutes of that two hours, (laughs) you know, (laughs) while they all just chatted. And then we get back in the car and we go. And I was like, oh, you know, and moment after moment after moment like that with Cliff was something that to me, I realized I felt, I felt, felt like education was important to Cliff. And I kind of am... I want to go to sort of patient zero i feel like is in the united states for education in terms of how we how it's manifested now in the university systems i would say ellie minette certainly um i just don't have a relationship with ellie personally but the one i've had the closest to is cliff and my question for you yuko and then maybe let's just go from yuko to matt here like Am I misdiagnosing something about Cliff? Like, was the educational sort of outgrowth of his legacy, his work, something that was just happenstance? Or did, was he? Was it important to him to teach?
0: I think it was just who he was. But, like, also, I think it's more of a cultural thing, like, to spend time, like, getting to know each other, because, um, you know, he would... Yeah, take people out, like say students out, like he made sure that students felt comfortable, like, you know, when students come from Trinidad or elsewhere uh, to DeKalb, um, he wanted to make sure to share, um, you know, things outside of school. So, you know, in addition to like educational, um, you know, components that university uh, provides, he wanted to make sure that that people, felt, you know, like they were cared for and um, you know, wanted to make sure uh that he was there for them, especially because people weren't there for him when he was growing up. Mm -hmm. So um, and you know, I was thinking about like that story, you know, Josh, that you just told. And I think it was just like he needed a haircut. And he didn't have a place to go into Cal where he can go in and just chat, you know, because that is a cultural thing, you know, at black barbershops, you know, that's a, you know, that's a place where people go and hang out. And uh, so I don't know if he was thinking too much about like, oh, you know, I'm going to be taking these you know, two young students, and they're going to have to sit for two hours. Or, you know, maybe he was just thinking about, okay, I need a haircut. And, you know, that, uh, you know, he when he goes to get a haircut, he, you know, chats with, you know, the people there. Um, but I think it's, um, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't know if well, he was thinking much about, like, what you were getting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess my question, as you were talking, I was you were helping me clarify, I think, what I'm curious about, like, his investment in people like Larry Snyder and vice versa were decisions that had they not happened, <laughs> you know, like, I think, like, my career wouldn't exist, nothing like, and, 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 not, and not just the initial, like, cool, here's the money, I made you these pans see it later. Oh, I, but like the active investment in those programs over
2: decades. No, I think, like, I think this is, I think this is a different twist. I don't think Cliff, um, I think his investment is not so much an investment as, is like testing your worth. And I think early on he, you know, he tested Snyder. I mean, obviously he didn't return mm-hmm. his calls and it took a while for Snyder to get hold of him to make pants. And, um, like he made the drums, and then he wanted to make sure that that it was that Snyder was worth it, and yeah. so by by what he was teaching, and of course he involved Siwi, you know, in the early days of helping get the band started, uh, and his and Siwi's grad student, and and so getting that band off the ground, you know, guys like Tom Miller, Ben Toth, who would sleep, you know, under the marimba while Cliff tuned, you know, that that's part of the the uh, payment process into that that worthiness. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, him, you taking him to that black barbershop was his way of kind of testing your worth to a point and, you know, making, it's almost like making sure, like, let me see if Snyder's guys still got it. You know, they're going to take us to this place. No question asked. It's that loyalty. It's that like, you know, um, some of it's naivete, but you go into this place trusting him and there's a trust there that now you have created. Um, and so me coming into Akron as a student of Ben, I have a little bit of that credibility because of Ben and because him and Ben were really close. And so um, so I think, yeah, he's concerned with education and like the um, it, it's almost like like I'm going to give you this superpower. You know, here's this instrument that does magical things, which I think the instrument is magical. I mean it's a freaking barrel that makes beautiful sounds. I mean, that's magic. If you ask me if it's like, if you're going to have this, this power that I'm going to give you, like, I'm going to make sure you're worth it because I think so many times, um, people would get instruments or buy pans and just go off to, you know, make a buck and and not really respect the the, the history of the instrument, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there was a whole discussion at the NSSBE about this, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the cultural value of the instrument and things like that right. and whether it's taught. And so he would, he would, he wasn't just going to give it to you, but you, he would like throw you a bone here, tell you a little story and then, you know, and see really if you're like, um, like worthy. I think that's the, I, that's the best word I can think of. Like, are you worthy of this responsibility of this gift, this instrument and with all of the history that goes along with it? You know, And he would, of course, share stories. But one of the first things I did when I started, when I took over the band um, was Rick had gotten a bunch of free mallets from uh, it was the same people that were supplying Panyard with their sticks. It was a family. Uh, one of our alumni um, was their parents who were making the metal shafts with the tubing and uh, kind of the rubber along the bottom. And they, they gave Rick a whole set of mallets for free. Here, use these mallets. And Cliff came in and he's like, what the hell is this? And he threw him across the room, you know, screaming in a rage, you know, throwing mallets across the room. (laughs) And so when I took over the van, we went back to the wrap, you know, the the latex wrap, you know, or the, the uh, gum rubber uh, wrap. And I mean, I, and I think that was a big, that was a big deal. He never said so. He never said, Hey, like nice choice on the mallets, you know, he never said that, (laughs) but I mean, I could hear the difference when we used those, we made that change. And you know, making base mallets. So, you know, I would craft him at home in my garage, and I bring it to him. Cliff, how does this look? Is this the right shape? He's like, no, it's too pointy, whatever. And so, it's those little things that, like, um, you know, as a, a matter of respect, but also you're kind of earning that, um, earning the the next step of knowledge, I guess.
0: If that makes yeah, he, sense. He cared a lot about whether people cared about Trinidad and Tobago and respected, you know, the history, the culture, the music, the people. And like you were saying, Matt, you know, I think he encountered, because, you know, I only knew the last, you know, so many years of his life. So, you know, before I met Cliff, you know, I'm sure, you know, I've heard different stories. So he, you know, just like any of us, you know, we change. Um, So he perhaps encountered people who, didn't really use the instrument to um, make him feel good right. uh, or just like they took
2: it's almost like they took advantage of him
0: yeah and just used it to make money like you right. were
2: saying and and, and, and sad to say you know I don't know if if this is uh if we want to go here but at the University of at, in Akron you know he had some of those run-ins with people who disrespected him and took advantage of him you know and so I think maybe he was a little tougher on me and Josh and and Mm -hmm. because of that previous history, you know, I don't, I'm not a part of any of that history. I wasn't there. You know, I understand kind of what happened. Um, but it it wasn't me, you know, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I I was, it's funny because, you know, I'm sort of, there's the, you know, I'm coming from the Ben Toth generation of the university of Akron and then there's the other stuff that happened after that. And then I come in, you know, so
1: Mm, yeah,
2: well, I mean, yeah, I don't,
1: I just, in, in I don't know that we need to go, I don't feel like we, the, the three of us need to spend time on that, that particular energy. But, no, no, no but, I But, but I, but just to point out, I think it is important to put it in the room because It exists. It's there, it's true, and it, it is, it was, I think you're all saying, sorry, this is, you're giving great answers to the bad question I asked, which is making me feel okay about asking the terrible question, but <laughs> I just finished a book, sorry. I finished a book by Kim Johnson called From Tin Pan to Taspo,
2: yeah.
1: uh, and for folks who don't know what Taspo is, it's a Trinidad All-Steel Percussion Orchestra, um, and they were sort of, that's where the book stops, it's obviously not where steel drum history stops, but it's sort of their their performance in, in London, uh, I believe in 1951, 50 or 51, I can't remember. That's bad, 51 bad sounds right, but I'm yeah. not sure. And but as you're I mean Cliff was alive for a lot of this like he was maybe you said Yuko like 10 years younger than Ellie is yeah.
2: that right
1: yeah and so Ellie Ellie is sort of one of the main figures in the book that comes up but one of the things like I remember many times being in Cliff's studio and he's like you all think it was from barrels washing up on the ocean right I'm like right. I'm like what it's not and he's like no and I was like what is it and he's like not Ellie and I was like wait a minute not like and I was like wait you know, it, like it was like, but he would just get these little nuggets out and then he would contradict himself the next time and it was like hmm. it but reading the book I say that not to say that Cliff didn't know what he was talking about at all. My point is is that I feel like I'm becoming more aware and more grateful and more like appreciative of the point in history I feel like I entered into this to sort of be able to know people who were at the invent, the this the beginning of this instrument. yeah yeah the instrument culturally the instrument in terms of its experimentation, the instrument in terms of its relationship to the police and the governing bodies in Trinidad, the instrument in relationship to class in society, the instrument in relationship to post-emancipation, like all of this stuff. And I know people who were there. Right. There's still people. Huloy Yip, uh, Huloy Yip Young is like one of the, they everybody calls him uncle, Uncle Huloy. Yeah. There's pictures uh. of Huloy with Ellie in these books. And I'm like, like it's crazy to me, and I and and I I just want to. It's important to bring this stuff up because culturally, where this instrument comes from is comes from oppression and people being taken advantage of, right. and being denied things by people powerful for them. And most of those people were white. Now that stuff also happened within the different races in Trinidad. I mean, there's it's messy. And Cliff, I feel like really fought to sort of be like. I'm not going to tell you everything, you know, no, you just got to do it. And yeah, in think... the vouching for people, like once you, once mm-hmm. he felt like he could, he could vouch for you, you're in, it kind of didn't matter what you did it, as long as you didn't burn him like that. It was like you were family. And so when you walked in the room, somebody, somebody had already talked to Cliff about you. And because mm-hmm. that happened, Cliff was like, I'm going to give this guy a chance. Mm hmm. And I think that comes from like where this instrument literally started. And, and it's fascinating to me.
2: I remember, I remember Cliff telling me once, you know, about Ellie, you know, I asked him something, know, what do you, what's the deal, you know, and he's like, oh, we talk all the time. He's like, it was my hero. He's like, I grew up, you know, he was obviously younger than Ellie, but Ellie was a teenager when he was doing, you know, all of his big innovations mm-hmm. and Cliff looked up to him and he was, that was Ellie was his hero. And I think, and this is just what I've gathered from, you know, talking with Cliff, is I think he was upset that, like, there was a lot of people at the beginning yeah. that that were there uh, developing the instrument and, and making innovations, guys like, um, you know, Bertie Marshall and these guys, you know, and I think a lot of people, He, I think Cliff felt a lot of other people deserved more credit than, and for whatever reason, I think he felt Ellie took you know, took it upon himself for whatever reason. There's lots of, you know, issues there. Um, Mm -hmm. I think he felt Ellie, you know, took a lot of credit when there were a lot of other people as well. Not to take anything away from Ellie. I think he's done some, he he did amazing things for the instrument, obviously. But there were others, you know, at the beginning that were just as important.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think...
1: Oh, go ahead, Yuko, sorry.
0: Oh. Okay um I think um you know when yeah you know like it always makes me think you know when we speak about when I speak about Cliff um because he's no longer here to be able to explain or defend himself so I don't want to end up saying something that he's going to say like no that is not true or something but you know um as many Trinidadian, Trinbegonian people say how uh, competitive they are in nature. So I believe what ended up happening is when Cliff started to tune, he became a competition right. and other builders and tuners <clears throat> became competitions to, you know, secure, yeah. you know, people. So I think that's how, you know, Cliff felt. Um, some people were not getting credits or uh, it became harder for Cliff to, you know tune that was you know many many years before I even met him but yeah he went through really really rough times and that is the reason why I didn't really you know uh become active as a pan tuner because he had gone through so much himself and he didn't want me to go through the kind of experiences that he went through so Oops. well it's very it's very
2: competitive and and everybody thinks they're their instrument is the best right. this is you know you should do it this way this is the way i do it that's the way you should do it you know well
1: this is this is one of the things i mean about in yuko you're i mean you're tuning now so you now have like you understand what that that energy is like you you know and this 10 panda to, to TASPA book is amazing because it it does like how we talk about history, it really helped me think a lot. I mean, I think I texted you Matt and I was like, I, we gotta stop saying that Spree Simon invented the steel drug. Like and that's just something I've said out loud a lot because it was part of what just the pieces there wasn't a lot of stuff that we could learn. There wasn't YouTube clips with interviews well, no, I mean, with individual books, you know. These
2: books are all within the last, you know, except for the Goddard, you know, Forty Years in the Steel Band and the right. Stumple book or dissertation, you know, there's not there wasn't a lot written until like the recent, you know you know, when I started The Steel Band, there was one book. That was it. <laughs> all right. Well, and, and the, this, this. Or not campaign. started, but I started with The
1: Steel Band. The Johnson book, like, he talks really clearly about, like, he just lays it out. It's like Neville Jules was there. Spree Simon was there for sure. Yeah. Um, Ellie Minnette, uh, Lincoln Noel, like, all of these people were sort of all in their own yards building stuff and competing, and everybody's drums were the best, except at the end of the day, when people came across Ellie's drum... Ellie was always the guy with the most notes on his drum, and like, and there was the story when when Invaders got in a fight. I think it was, was with um, Casablanca. They got in a fight and they stole Ellie's drum. They got it. It was called Barracuda, the Barracuda, the Barracuda. Oh, yeah. and they hung it from a tree and mm-hmm. said, "Come and get it." And the, and in the book, it just says he did not go and get it. <laughs> <laughs> and, not, and I just feel like like that. What like I don't think I knew that story, but when I do, and I sort of like, you know. People change over time, but people make more sense whenever you look at where they came from, and where these, like, why these attitudes exist. Why would Cliff be so protective of his tuning methods? It's because he was looking up to people like Ellie, and he was looking. They were all like, "No, this is mine. If I show you this, like, this is, you yeah, know,
2: this is this is well, also a time when people hid in the bushes and stole the rain stole arrangements." You know, you you would sit exactly, in the bushes, yeah. listen to a band, and, and then go off and teach your band the same arrangement as a and, and you you know as a bomb tune, and you would play it before the other band, and it would cause big controversy. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that rivalry uh, that existed. Um, you know, and so I think you're exactly right. You know, it's it's the you know you're keeping trade secrets and things like that. As well. I just
1: think it's fun. It's 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 I'm trying to be better about like. I've always heard the stories and been like, Yeah, steel bands were violent in the sixties. And then like things chilled out. And it's like that's such a lazy way, like, and it's just not true. Like that's not exactly people didn't just chill out. Like <laughs> like like it's not like one day everybody's like, Oh, we're cool. Like this happened over generations, day after day after day of conversations, of fights and makeups, and Casablanca and invaders eventually made up. And then that's how like the organ they got organized enough to make Taspo happen. It's like Yeah. Anyway, it's just and you, you go. Sorry, you should. You you were you lived with the man and were married to him. So I'm, I'm sitting here talking about him as if I knew him. And I'm and you're. If I'm saying something wrong, please chime in.
0: The only thing is um, the part that you were saying, like um, how protective he was of his tuning method. I'm not sure if he was protective, but he may have not known how to explain um, how it was done because Mm. he often had people you know he would he would welcome people to come and observe and he would show um okay so i'm doing this and i'm doing that but like it's really really hard to explain um, how pans are tuned especially cliffs method so i'm Mm. teaching two students right now and you know i'm teaching them how to tune Um, Well, uh, the first assignment is building a small steel pan so they can go through the whole whole entire process quickly to just understand the process. And uh, it's not easy to um, teach how pans are tuned um, in close method. So I believe both of them are kind of stuck. And that's where I was, too, because... It was so confusing, and you know, you have to be able to like feel and like understand the shape and the sound and like all of that combined. So, like, it's really, really hard to to teach how to tune steel pans uh, using Cliff's method. So, I wonder if you know he was being secretive or if he was just you know not knowing like exactly how to teach because I don't either yet. Mm. Hopefully in the future, I will know, like, you know, exactly, you know, how I can explain. But, you know, he always welcomed people to come and watch him. You know, Just in like, you know, Akron, mm-hmm. what he loved so much is like you guys and like students would always be there. And he loved that so much because... Yeah, um, that may have not happened as much, <laughs> um, yeah, here. But anyway, so so I think he, you know, anytime he will be tuning in the panyard, you guys would ask questions and he will answer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I think he was trying to, you know, be helpful, trying to share.
2: And, and I he, think, you know, I watched him tune 20-something times, and and <laughs> he tried explaining to me what he was doing, and, and you know, I'm like, after... 15 years of watching, like, I started to get, like, an inkling, like, I think I understand what's going on here, you know, but not really. But, I, you know, I think a lot of it, too, is, is um, especially when are dealing with those older instruments, you know, there's some trial or, you know, uh, trial, trial and error, you know, you kind of, like, let's try this. Okay, that didn't work, but let me go to this method. Let me try this. Let me try this. And he knew all those different tricks. Yeah. Um, because he had been through all those different situations with a note, right. you know, um, but then he would still sit down and, you know, work on an F sharp on the guitar pan, the guitars, which you don't even hear in the full band context, but he's like, I'm going to make this F sharp be the greatest note you've ever heard. You know, even though it's some, you know, idiot freshman playing those pans who doesn't know what they're doing and is probably playing the wrong notes all the time anyway, you know, and, but he put that kind of care into each, each individual note. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was fascinating to me. Um. Just well, watching I, him do that I think I may
1: I, I will admit that I think where where my well, the reason I asked that question about or said it would be him being protective I think that was like the first time I met Cliff like where he was tuning you know how something read to me as a 19 or a 20 year old kid like like I who had never been around somebody who had a craft that only like seven people on the world in the world could do at, at that level you know Like I, whatever, he wasn't immediately just like, well, this is, you know, you put your left foot here and your right foot here, you toss the salt and then there's the F sharp. Like I felt like, oh, like I just realized that conversation was going to be way longer than I had time for as a 20 year old. And now as a 41 year old, I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Like that's what happens. You get older Mm -hmm. and you become aware of, of that. But you you mentioned um, up front about, you had some questions about Matt in particular with education and teaching in the U.S.
0: Right, right. So, Matt, I know you were at the uh, NSSBE conference where we spoke about uh, respecting the uh, cultural heritage of steel bands, and you mentioned something about, you know, how you wanted to speak about that. So I don't really have any specific question at the moment, but is there something that you want to talk about, um, you know, how we approach or how You approach at University of Akron and Miller South.
2: I I think, um, you know, the one very basic goal, as far as like a a basic curriculum or agenda for any steel band or any workshop or presentation or um, educational situation um, is to understand that the instrument comes from Trinidad and Tobago. That's the one thing I want people to know for sure is that this is the basic fact you must know, you know, and it's important because it's a part of their cultural history. Um, and so with that, you know, depending on the, the ensemble I'm, I'm working with, if it's a community steel band, you know, I want them to understand that, but you know, the, the, the goals or, or curriculum for whatever particular group I'm working with can be somewhat different. If it's an outreach program where I'm working with at-risk students, you know, like the PADS program, which I think you did, Josh, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those kids are just wanting to have a a positive experience. They don't need to understand, you know, the struggles of Cliff Alexis. Um, They need to know that the instrument comes from Trinidad. It was invented by kids their age. Um, And then let's have a positive experience for these after-school kids who have otherwise, you know, not that great of uh, home lives. You know, if I'm working with the University Steel Band, you know, their charge is to, they have to know the history. They have to know who Cliff is. They have to know who Ellie is. They have to know what Calypso music is. They have to understand, you know, a lot more nuance than than the Miller South kids. You know, Miller South kids come in every day to class and I'm playing David Rudder, I'm playing Sparrow, I'm playing Boogsy. They're hearing music when they walk into the classroom and we're playing some of that music. Mm-hmm. And, As well as you know doing some pop tunes and things like that but we're trying to incorporate um you know definitely parts of trinidadian culture um because that's that's where it all comes from you know um it's like trying to teach samba without talking about you know brazil it's ridiculous um though if you're you know i I approach it the same way and i think this is what's unique about the university of akron maybe not unique but like our what our, our main mission is um that gives us some uh uh elements of integrity maybe is that no matter what music we're playing whether it's pan music african music john cage um jason truding um uh, berlioz it's like you need to know where this you know where, where it all comes from why it exists and a little bit of historical context, um, if you're going to be able to present this music, you can't just go and play the notes and rhythms. That's stupid. You have to go beyond that. And so a lot of people think the University of Akron is the steel pan school. No, we just do it like we do everything else, which is a very in-depth relationship with the composer or the people who created this music. Um, <clears throat> because we feel like that gives us you know a little more integrity and and authority on the matter you know so i would also
1: say just to sorry to interrupt but but i I think the university of akron in particular and i definitely know niu does this because you have a direct relationship with a lot of folks who come from trinidad directly to niu Um, but the university of akron as an educational institution at least when I was there, and I'm, I'm sure it still is, was very supportive of me taking an entire month off during winter semester, doing all my homework ahead of time. I mean, it, it was fun. Right. I mean, I remember sort of joking about it to a lot of people, but it's like, that's a big risk for an educational institution to be like, okay, fine, go this away goes, for a month, but, you know?
2: But this is this is the power of Snyder. I mean, Dr. Mm-hmm. Snyder is the guy who, like, stuck his neck out for you guys. Right. And would go to the other professors and say, hey, let this dude mm-hmm. uh, miss three weeks of school, But he also, you know, to let you do that, to go to Trinidad is one thing, but, you know, he's also, um, we had a student once, Shane Carpenter, who wanted to play a particular concerto by Marta Pacinska from Poland, and he brought her in to work with him, and he won the concerto competition, and then he went and played that piece in Poland. So it's not just Pan, like, he's doing this with every aspect of Mm -hmm. the world of percussion, you know, he's sticking his neck out, he's also bringing in the top experts. And who are the top top experts in the pan scene well it's guys like cliff obviously but then it's ray holman it's andy norell it's booksy sharp it's earl rodney it's Mm -hmm. all the top artists you know um it's not you know we're not just bringing in um you know joe schmo off the street you know who might be a great pan player you know like if you just had andy norell and nothing against andy obviously he's an amazing Mm -hmm. he's a treasure um, but if you brought in just Andy Norel every year, that's great. But what about these other guys? You know, they're. Well, just I think a,
1: Andy would be the first person to tell you exactly.
2: That, you exactly. Know? He's like, you know, you got. He's like, why aren't you bringing in these dudes? You know, and for some schools, I understand it's impossible because of finances and, and logistics and things. But you know, I, it's uh, um...
0: And that's the part of Dr. Snyder that Cliff loved and respected because he knew that Dr. Snyder got it, like he understood and respected. And tried his best to understand. Right, because
2: because Doc has the same relationship with Cliff. Well, maybe not the same as he does with Stuart Saunders Smith, mm-hmm. or you know, uh, other living composers. You know, because he, he wants you, he wants you to really understand. You know, he had those firsthand um interactions with people like cliff but also living composers mm-hmm. um because he was playing contemporary music and, and things like that i think it, i think it goes goes hand in hand you know people think contemporary music contemporary classical percussion you know avant-garde music and pan they're really not that much different you know they're they're different styles and genres but it's the same level of like integrity and in music making yeah yeah i'm curious um
1: One of the things that's striking me as an educator right now, and and it hit home, it hit me hard teaching at NYU and being close to a scene where, where, where the panorama form in terms of a steel band playing was happening at a pretty regular basis every year, similar to the way it was in Trinidad. And it sort of reminded me of like, from an educational standpoint, you look at, String players for, you know, you have kids, Matt, who play strings and they, yes, they play in string quartets and they play solos. But every kid, almost as soon as they possibly can get them seated in a chair and not spitting on their neighbor, is playing in an orchestra, right, of like 90 players in Trinidad. There's a very, and in Brooklyn, there's a very similar sort of scenario where, yes, there are combos, but they're stage side bands. And then there's the panorama. And I feel like one of the things that's kind of missing in the educational system in the U.S., it's like it feels like it rarely gets to the panorama symphonic, or at least an awareness of what that form can sound like or should sound like, how you can approach it. Where does the panorama form come from? And the reason I know about it is because music was published, and I feel like Cliff actually too did a was very proactive about writing down music that he wrote. I mean, of course, not all of it, but but I'm curious from your standpoints, like publishing to me feels like a key that will unlock a lot of this stuff. When there's an, because in the university system, and Matt, we've talked about this. It's like you can't rehearse a steel band at the University of Akron like you do in San Fernando Trinidad. You can't get him in the room and say, we're going to be here from 7 till 3 in the no, morning. No, you
2: you can do that. We did that when I was a grad student. Yeah. And when I when I took over the band, I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, this is how, how we learned. We learned Jam It With You by Ray Holman. And mm-hmm. we learned, uh, what was the one we did second year? Oh, shoot. What was that, Tim? Was it Fire Down Below? I don't, I don't remember. It was a, we did it with Liam. Anyway, but like the way Rick did it is we would start... Spring semester, um, you know, whenever our first day of class was, we would go Monday through Thursday, 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. in the old panyard, which was the boiler room, Mm -hmm. you know, above the third floor. And we did that for like four weeks. And we didn't rehearse Friday and Saturday because those were gig nights for some of the drummers. We would go Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night from 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. And we would never get out before 12. And that, because Rick wanted to do it similar to how they did, I mean, we weren't going till three in the morning, like Trinidad. But, um, so you, you, we would have like two or three letters of the panorama. We would l- work on that, drill it, fix it. And then we would just do runs of whatever material we knew until midnight. And you knew that song like ice cold.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, but my point is that you couldn't have done that without the sheet music, right? To teach the tune by Roy. well, we
2: we yeah mean we, we could have, it would have been a lot more it would have taken a lot
1: longer, right? And I'm I'm just kind of curious. I mean, to me, this is a little bit where, and Yuko, the reason I'm asking this question is because you brought up the idea of like how we engage with culture at in in an institution where teaching steel band like that to me is is a point where the culture butts up a little bit where you you go to Trinidad today most most steel bands are taught by rote still and i mm-hmm. i i'm not saying this is that they shouldn't at all i absolutely think that's one of the reasons those bands sound the way they do is cuz everybody's receiving stuff from someone's mouth not from a page but i'm curious from an educational standpoint how much I learned about a lot of culture by playing fire down below because then I saw it on a piece of paper and I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Who's Boogsy sharp, you know? And that was how my brain processed things. I'm curious, is anything I'm saying like what, how do we re engage the culture? Cause it's, it's not in the culture today still. I mean, every, there's 10, 15 panoramas that get written every year in Brooklyn, they go away, <laughs> you know, and this is a world where software programs are everywhere that will transcribe everything and put it down on paper. Um, how do we how do we help that? So also, so that bands in the United States are playing, not they're playing mu- the music of people from that are alive in Trinidad and Tobago and in Brooklyn right now. You know, those are, there are arrangers like Bugsy who are alive right now. Bugsy's writing stuff and it's not even published on a regular basis. So, how do we sort of like help that or get that sort of in the mix uh, more?
0: Like like learning by rote more in like well, i'm talking,
1: talking like preserving
2: been, the music that's being yeah
0: composed. i mean i guess
1: that's a little bit oh. of my question is is a do we one of the things that's i've noticed it's hard to teach kids by rote in a steel band setting at least in in my experience it's been no it's not the, the time the time not if you're
2: not if you're a good teacher
1: <laughs> in my experience that's been the case but um but i do think for the history of the instrument i think i'm coming more down on the side of like we have to publish and print, write down a lot more of this music than, getting, than is getting written down now. This, this Not... is a
2: great its a great question for Ray Holman, because I think Ray would agree with you. Because I think Ray has started writing everything down since, you know, the 90s. I think he has some version of things written down or has had people writing down. And him and Cliff, I think, were somewhere, mm-hmm. I don't remember where they were, in the Southwest somewhere, and they saw a band playing, you know, some panorama music or something, and they're like, you know, they're reading off of sheet music and, i think ray Orkliff. i don't remember who said it, it's like man we're dinosaurs this is we're ancient history this is the future these pe- people are who are playing stuff that's written down i mean tom miller his first trip down to um, to play in panorama he was staying with ray and he was writing down what he was learning and ray's like what are you doing he's like i'm writing this down so people in america can play it you know so i can take it back to ohio and we can play this music and he's like well we don't do that He's like we just We go on to next year and like you know there's certain people who remember it you know it's a whole old tradition but um if you the question i guess is like okay if you want this music to be a well it's going to be preserved because the stateside bands often you know they preserve it because they they know that core of you know music um panoramas you know over the years um but do they do they do the people do they want it Does someone in Trinidad today want the University of Akron Steel Band to play their arrangement? The way that that has to happen, unfortunately, is you have to write it down because you're not going to come to Akron and and spend a month teaching us the song. Now, when we have guys like Kendall Williams and other trainees come in um, with we do prepared sheet music, you know, we do three or four tunes prepared. And then it's like, okay, um, Thursday night before the Saturday concert, Kendall, go ahead and teach us something by road or rate, let's teach us something by, and they do it. And it's mm-hmm. the kids um, react really well to it. Uh, some do, some get really afraid, you know, the grad students usually freak out because they they think <laughs> they're hot, hot stuff. And then they all of a sudden can't find, you know, C on their pan. But, um, so, I mean, we try and incorporate some of that element, but, um, you know, it, it's just a matter of it's, it's time, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have time to spend a week learning stuff by rote. I mean, when Tom Miller would come to Dover, he would spend, what, three or four days teaching you guys stuff by rote, um, yeah. which is awesome. Cause that's, you know, I'm mean, that, I teach everything at Miller South is by road and that's because I have non musicians in that ensemble. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so there's value both ways, but I think it's a matter of like, you know, like Ray has right, he gets his stuff written down, or, or publishes it, or somehow has somebody write it down, and then um, so we can do it here in the states. Mm-hmm. You know, Yuko, I know you've done a bunch of transcriptions and things, and going back to old recordings. I thought of you because some guy on Facebook was wondering about a our boys recording of the hammer that he did, like you know, 30 years ago, 20 mm-hmm. years ago.
1: I saw that too, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like all right, I thought of. I'm like, well, Yuko, there you go. There's a gig for you. <laughs> you You know know,
0: uh, there's like people like mark loquan and mia gormandy mm -hmm. along with the annotation team they're trying to you know create panotations so to advocate for um you know to preserve music and they um want more people to understand appreciate and be able to share their work uh written music so you know there are people like them who are trying to create a platform where people can uh, transcribe, uh, publish, and whatnot. And what I was told by some people in Trinidad was that a lot of bands would be interested in getting their uh, music transcribed, but funding can be something right. that you know. It's difficult. Um, it's a difficult process. Yeah, and you get a lot of
2: parts. You got to get everybody come in and record their part. Um, you know, it costs money to do that. Um, I think one of the things that's really great to see in the last 10 years is that with YouTube, you're seeing, you can find recordings at least, you know, from Mm -hmm. panorama going years back into the eighties, which I think, you know, definitely 10 years ago, you couldn't find any of these recordings, you know, and now they're like, you can find a lot of, a lot of them. So at least the audio, you know, exists. Yeah. So if you wanted to go in and, and transcribe and do your best, take your best shot at what you think the arrangement is, you could do that. But mm-hmm. um you know, and then there's copyright issue and things like that. And right. it's, it, it's just a lot of um a lot of stumbling blocks, I guess. I don't know. But I, I think it but it's you know, this is all very new. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom and Ray having this conversation was nineteen eighty eight or eighty nine. I mean this is not A hundred years ago. This is very new when you think of the scheme of the history of the instrument. And so I think it's a, it's kind of a natural development. It just, it, it takes time for these to kind these things kind of to, to, you know, germinate, um, like people like Mark Loquan and yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. you got to find, and Mia, people who, you know, Mm -hmm. who, um, you know, you don't see, when's, when do you see pan literacy? When's the first people reading pan? 80s, 1980s, you know, I mean, maybe before that, Um,
0: not sure when, yeah, I mean,
2: you know, just kind of to put it in perspective, I mean, it's, it's such a new young art form that uh, it just takes a little time. Yeah. I think one of the
1: reasons I asked that question is because like, again, like the sort of hitting home that 21 years after having started the university, university of Akron and having identified something about that educational institution that was like, had been doing it already for a while. And I had seen it like the, the outgrowth, the Dover high school steel drum band that started was a student who was Joan Wenzel, who was at the university of Akron now and and knowing what music I played on gigs when I was at the university of Akron, what we played in, in the band then, I mean, obviously you did arrangements, but we were, you know, you had charts that you were, you were purchasing for the university various, you know, now 21 years later, things have changed but but not nearly as much as I thought they were going to. like there's I'm starting to see enough of like my amazing grace arrangement pop up in places and I'm like, oh my God, like like I'm a little bit like, yes, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. It was fun and I, I stand by it. but I'm also seeing all of this other great music and the only reason Amazing Grace is getting played at all these different places is because I wrote it down not because it's better than any of the other stuff. And if that, if we can sort of, I feel like I'm the guy in in Raiders of the Lost Ark where you got the the, the bag of sand and the gold statue, and I just kind of want to go like, oop, and just put that music there. And you're right, there's stumbling blocks, but in terms of like the arc of humanity, those aren't that big of a stumbling block. Like we have to figure, that's how we figure it out. That's how this stuff gets preserved so that thirty three hundred years from
2: now. Well, and you have to have, you know, there's obviously, I think, there's people in the U.S. out of necessity, like Tom Miller sitting down with a Walkman and listening to Queen of the Bands and transcribing it mm-hmm. in the 80s. You know, that, that's all. That's the only way you got pan music back then, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and getting people in, in Trinidad to be musically literate, to be able to write things down is a big step. You know, you have university, um, just because of the nature of the way we learn in the States, with everything written down, um, you know, maybe taking a little bit of the lead on that uh, compared to Trinidad, um, you know, maybe Trinidad's doing a little bit of catch up now, you know, um, to what people in the U.S. were doing. I mean, I mean Cliff was a big part of that. I mean, he was writing solos for, for every instrument for
1: PAS. I think I think the Epan has been helping a lot of folks. I saw there was a there was a thing that Devon Stewart posted up of him playing, talking about how he arranges stuff and you know being able to have the MIDI plug in and be able to play everything. Obviously, the not everybody can afford the Epan, but I think that right. sort of technological innovation is definitely happening, and I think it's allowing some other things to happen, you know, happen easier. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful, but it, it just like I'm every time I see amazing gray skip program somewhere, I just want to be like. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> just yeah, just you know, but um, well Yuko, I am um, just to, I feel like this should be the last question I want to give it to you for Matt. Um, just to sort of wrap up here. we've already robbed Matt of about an hour and 15 minutes of his time, so I'm, I want to be respectful. <laughs> but, uh, he'll never get it back. but Yuko, do you want to uh, ask the, the final question for Matt?
0: Okay, so this is actually a question for both of you. Um, I've been hearing a lot from people from Trinidad and Tobago about how um, people from outside of Trinidad and Tobago calling the instruments steel drums and calling the pan sticks mallets. I wanted to hear uh, your take on that.
2: Um, So steel drum versus steel pan. Yeah. Um, I think... I think if they're talking about either, it's a good thing, um, in terms of recognizing the instrument as an art form. Um, I try to use the term steel pan because that's what what Liam uses, I think, and I respect him. And I, I I'm just gonna start calling it steel pan. But I, if someone calls a steel drum, I'm not gonna get upset. They're made from steel drums, you know, oil drums. So yeah. I don't have a problem with that. And pans or sticks versus mallets. That's a ridiculous argument. Who cares? Stick mallet. I call everything a stick or a mallet. You know, I'm not going to call them hammers, but um, you know, I call it marimba sticks. I call it drumsticks, pan sticks, pan mallets, bass mallets, bass sticks. I think it's it's interchangeable. It's a mm-hmm. it's just unnecessary to even discuss it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's interesting.
1: I, I, Yuko, we, I think we had texted about, about something, or we had you, you had mentioned that this was a... We, we'd spoken about it before, and I've been thinking about it. Um, I think I, too, don't have a reaction. I don't personally, for all of the obvious reasons, culturally, I don't react <laughs> one way or another to either one of those. But I could totally understand why... I understand, having thought about it now for a second, and not that this is even a fully formed thought, but why making the distinction between what is an oil drum and then what has become a steel pan, I can totally understand why yeah, that, that makes is a sense. distinction somebody would want. Just to sort of, again, like having read that that Johnson book, in the class arguments in Trinidad, a lot of it was a yearning for always striving to be an the class above you, like looking for, not even necessarily to be a part of it, but be, for approval from the upper class. For your music that's why classical music was often played in public so folks knew those tunes it's like oh cool that there was a way of garnering social respect i've never had to deal with that so i don't that's why i said i don't have that reaction but i think i totally can empathize and understand why somebody would want to um but i would say just to sort of agree with matt a little bit i think in the nomenclature on the day-to-day ground level like in terms of the educational systems when i see a bunch of sticks on the ground and there's marimba mallets. I'll always say, I'll never say marimba sticks, but if I see a bunch of marimba mallets laying on the ground, I will say, can somebody grab those sticks? Mm. Like, to me, I don't, I don't parse those out. Yeah, I don't see them. It's it's, it's more random than I think I want to admit.
2: Yeah, and you know, that could be our background as percussionists versus Mm. pan players. You know, we're coming from a different context of, you know, being a percussionist who plays many instruments compared to a pan player who plays pan. Um, one thing i'll say about steel pan is i I try to with with all of my groups the first time i sit down with them and and say you know this is this is a pan mallet pan stick whatever you want to call it tenor mallet um this is not a steel drum it's a steel pan because if we think of a drum you think of like i take a stick i hit a drum and it, it does its thing but you can't do that on a pan you have to activate it you have to touch it so by by Psychologically, not calling it a drum and calling it a steel pan, Mm -hmm. I think it's a little easier for for students to wrap their heads around like, oh, I need to think about this a little differently and activate it or touch it versus striking it or beating it or hitting it um, with a stick.
1: A steel pan is a drum. A steel drum is not necessarily always a steel pan. Yeah, okay like if, if we want to get like super nerdy on the semantics like yeah it is it's a distinction that is it's a different level though no,
2: no i, I did a performance recently for uh it was a year or two ago for uh, murray and i played that david mcbride um piece that was on his memorial concert and in the, and they used it recently for a martin luther king memorial concert and we were at the end and they called the they called they put us you know murray mast matt dudek they said Tin Pans. Oof. And this is a hard school of music. Ooh. <laughs> I told Ben about it. He's like, I don't know how I, I he's like, I don't know what to say.
1: It's interesting. But, I'm, I'm curious, Yuko, like why, why the? because as I'm, I'm curious, like TASPO, Trinidad All-Steel Percussion Orchestra, like the the origins of the steel band come from drumming, come from rhythm. Like Andy Norell really pushed this on me. Like I said, I, I quipped about some comment and he's like, hold up a second. Like, the steel band is a percussion ensemble first mm-hmm. and foremost. And Everybody's a drummer. Yeah. Everybody is a drummer. And but again, like those initial drums which were wastebaskets or they were biscuit tins, those are not what then Ellie developed that along with other folks to something different. So I anyway, I'm just saying I agree with the semantics, but it I understand I'm curious why why is there a push away from the steel drum? What was your reason for asking the question?
0: So um, you know, because um multiple people who I know have mentioned about it from Trinidad and Tobago and, you know, just seeing uh, some, you know, threads about it on social media. And for me, um, you know, when I started to learn how to play the pan, I went to Trinidad and, um, you know, what people were calling the instrument or, you know, they would call pan sticks. So that just stuck with me. Mm. So I just, you know, I call them tenors. I don't call them lead, you know, so steel pans and sticks. And what I'm, um, you know, I may not have it right, you know, completely, but what I'm thinking, how Trinidadian Trinbagonians are feeling is, why are people, you know, who are from outside of Trinidad and Tobago changing the names? Like, why? Like, so it's not so much of, um, you know, technical explanations, but hey, this is a pan. Like, why are you calling it steel drums? This is pan sticks. Why are you calling them mallets? And um, I do understand when, you know, explanation are provided, but, um, you know, perhaps, you know, I, I've been thinking so, so much about this kind of thing that sometimes I get like so confused after a while. <laughs> um, but I feel that people from Trinidad and Tobago um, are, are, not happy when what is um, from their country go to other countries and names are changed. And I understand that people like Ellie, who is from Trinidad, did call Pan steel drums often. And you know, I would hear him saying uh, steel drums or his website, you know, Manette steel drums. So um, but, uh, you know, Cliff, though, he, um, I believe, would, you know, always call tenors, tenor, you know, sticks, sticks, and steel pans, and, you know, he uh, spoke a lot about the history of Trinidad and Tobago, the pan, the culture, the people, so people who received education from Cliff had, oh, I shouldn't say that, um, uh, he he taught people the culture, the music, the terms, I feel. Mm. Um, So a lot of us would use those terms, um, but perhaps certain words that Trinbagonians don't like were spread and some people, you know, don't know how um, offensive, you know, they can be like, um, cause it seems like um, people from Trinidad and Tobago just don't understand why, like, why would you call them steel drums? Because those are steel pans, Uh, these are, you know, sticks. Um, But at the same time, like, I do understand, um, you know, yeah, mallets, uh, you know, uh, marimba mallets are mallets. And, you know, so for percussionists, percussionists are used to calling them mallets. You know, a student was saying like, oh, should I, you know, something about his bass mallets today? And, um, you know, because I've been thinking so much about like sticks and mallets, um, I just stopped for a second, then somebody came and said, oh, yeah, you can, you know, put those sticks, you know, so... Um yeah, and I'm just kind of babbling right now and I'm not exactly. I sure think if I'm you're honest. if you're
2: losing sleep over sticks versus mallets,
0: well it's bigger though, bigger than just sticks and mallets and steel pan. Like that's just one part of it. Yeah. But, Do you um, think
2: it's a matter of like you think people are being disrespectful?
0: People are being disrespectful or people are feeling their Or is it being, ignorance? Yeah, um being disrespected or not, yeah, being respected. Because uh, uh, when you know instrument migrated with people uh, from Trinidad and Tobago, and it spread, um, people from uh, different parts of the world started using different terminology, mm-hmm. or um, you know people use the instrument to play certain styles of music, and that stuck. Yeah. Um, so some people fell in love with that style of music. Mm-hmm. And sure. associated steel pan with that style of music. But now, um, you know, some uh, people from the Caribbean are seeing people wearing flower shirts, sure. you know, putting lay and playing, you know, happy-go-lucky, island um, yeah. songs. You know, they question that. But sure. at the same time, you know, that's, that's what happens when people migrate you know, culture migrate at the same time.
2: Well, I mean, you look at a violin, people play fiddle music, right? Yeah. It's Does that make the violin
0: exactly. less
2: of a legitimate instrument because someone's playing folk music on it?
0: Right. It's, it's, that, one,
1: it's one of the things that's been so tricky trying to figure out, like yeah. the, like how much of what I think exists in Trinidad or why Trinidad is the way it is be, is because of a day I happen to catch... Cliff on a good day, where he told me a really interesting story that stuck with me on the one week he was in town the whole year, versus if I was at NIU with Cliff every day and I right. was hearing him say terminology over and over and over again, you know, then I take that and I feel like, okay, it's my responsibility. Cliff said this. Like it's my responsibility then to just sort of parrot that to as many people as I can because I trust this guy. Whether or not everything he told me, I knew the cultural context behind or not, then I start to, I mean, that's how, that's how this stuff spreads and becomes diffuse. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm willing to admit that that happens totally. I will say it's really, it was as an, as a student to be like, oh, Jimmy Buffett, I don't know. But then to learn about who Robbie Greenwich is
0: Uh, and to know
1: that like, now I, again, I I don't know Robbie personally, but. I've also, I'm not going to walk around and I would, I've stopped saying Jimmy Buffett's music is something people shouldn't play because that means I'm saying Robbie Greenwich shouldn't and I don't have that authority. I would never say that to Robbie Greenwich. That's up to him. And so now I just say, I've played that music a ton. I want to play other music. You know, that's, that's what I say now. But as a student, when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, that must be okay. Without having i don't know the cultural context i don't know what he's what he's earned the right to do whatever the hell he wants to do with whoever he wants to you know and i'm just like to me that's the sort of like gordian knot of how this stuff has spread at least in the last 20 years that i have been sort of a part of it i don't think i know the answer yuko like I, i i wish i i think what i would want to say to anybody in trinidad is if you can find it within yourself in any of these moments to first start with the benefit of the doubt, like start from assume that the people who are doing this started doing this because someone showed them it and said, but it's like, can you believe how awesome this is? You'll love this. Mm -hmm. Like if you can at least start, I know that history has not always been kind to a lot of different people, specifically people of color and specifically (laughs) of people from the Caribbean, you know? Um, But, at least in terms of how steel drums have spread, I have been—it has been through nothing but want of like how awesome this culture and this band, this instrument is. So, um, I'm gonna do my part to try to stay, say sticks <laughs> and pans as much as I can, and try to weed that sort of language out. But I hope that if anybody hears me slip up, they would know that they would at least say, "I'm gonna start with the benefit of the doubt and know that he is probably coming from a place of of love and just slipped up."
2: Yeah. I think uh, another thing that I've talked to Snyder about this is, um, you know, we're the University of Akron Steel Drum Band, and that's right. a very specific name, and it's, um, people have asked us, like, you know, why do you call it the Steel Drum Band, and Snyder says, well, that puts us in a particular chronological time period uh, and gives us a historical context at the time in the late 70s and early, you know, 1980, like, that's what they called it was this you were a steel drum band and that's just what people were calling it back then you know in certain uh settings and so for us to change it you know it, obviously we could but it's like this just gives us a little bit of, of history you know uh in terms of you know we're not calling it you know now we're at steel orchestra or steel band mm-hmm. uh, is it steel band one word or steel band. I mean, <laughs> that's
1: the argument I feel like I've been having in my head. Like the number of times I type out steel band and I right. get the, like the red underline, like you're spelling this wrong. I'm like, I don't think I am, but you know,
2: you know, and you know, and so I, you know, Miller South, for example, they, I, I sent out something and says, uh, you know, they call it, um, Miller South steel drums. I'm like, we're not steel drums. We're called the Miller South steel band. That's our official mm. title. We're, that's our marketing point. You know, that's our, our, you know it's, but getting people to understand you know and the average American for sure doesn't understand the difference and mm-hmm. it's our job to explain that and, and to mm-hmm. put it in context mm-hmm. it's just like mispronouncing someone's name you know right. yeah um, if right. you're mispron, if I say if I call you Yucco <laughs> obviously I don't you know <laughs> you know um, it's obviously I'm disrespecting you because I'm not giving you the, the time to understand how your name is pronounced you know, it should be Yuko, And, um, you know, so calling it steel pan versus steel drum does matter. Um, and, uh, is it the the most important, you know, hill to die on? Probably not, but it's, it's important to get the word out there and to say those things, you know, Mm -hmm. to teach people about, uh, the instrument. But again, I'll go back to like it, my basic thing is to understand that people need to understand this instrument comes from Trinidad and Tobago. That's the first thing. Yeah. 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 So baby steps.
1: Mm-hmm. Baby steps. But we're coming a long way. And I, that I will say the number of hands that go up whenever I say, Does anybody know where this instrument's from? There are more and more hands that go up. And mm-hmm. there are fewer and fewer hands that when I call on them, they say, Texas. <laughs> yeah like that has happened and i've heard hawaii and i was like you'd have been closer if you said texas
2: (laughs) i'm more (laughs) likely i i usually get at least around here i get pittsburgh oh (laughs) because of the steelers oh you know it's pittsburgh steel right (laughs) ah
1: okay at least there's there's some there's somebody trying to connect a dot that i'll take that over hawaii you know like (laughs) yeah china or something yeah
0: one little kid said china because of my you know ethnicity well, and, and people think of China. They think of metal
2: instruments when they think of China. They think of gongs and things like that mm-hmm. coming from, you know, from the from far east. But um, here's another thing. You know, whenever I, I um, ask kids about African music, I said, "What instrument pops in your mind if I said we're going to play some African music?" And you know what they say? <clears throat> bongos. Oh, bongos. Because that must be the universal hand drum of the world. I don't understand it, huh. you know, hmm. they don't, you know, they don't say, they don't even say drums, they say bongos. Wow, wow. Which is, I think, is really interesting, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just the kids wow. I deal with around here, but, yeah, mm-hmm. a nine times out of tens, they say
0: bongos. I wonder why.
2: I. It's just, you know, the, like, it's the instrument
1: that's in the picture, like, when there's a, <laughs> when there's a, like... Here's a band, and it's a cartoon band. There's always the yeah. drummer is never or, usually a drummer; you know, it, it's a bongo it could player. Be, you know, like it there's bongos in their
2: in their little you know instrumental. Their general music class that they go to elementary school. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the teacher's not going to have 17 gimbais. She's going to have a pair of bongos, uh, and you know maybe mm-hmm. you know, and and so you. You show a kid a conga drum and they say bongo. You show them a djembe, they say bongo. Because oh, no. bongo, it's a fun word too. I mean, bongo no, is fun. But they The universal hand drum of the world is the bongo. Mm-hmm. How
1: much of how much of history is also just written by with words because words are fun to, more fun to say than others. Like that's <laughs> just like you know, there's no racism. There's no. It's just like this word is fun more fun to say than yeah, another. Yeah, bongo you know. fun. It's a fun. I want to well, play the bongos. All Yuko. Um, that was an amazing question to end with and this the last sort of the bongo thing here made made me realize and i think it's good that we still have a very long way to go perhaps um but that it's also and i I am reminded of my time at akron my time with cliff was built on days not decades and i think it was just like a day at a time plugging away and i you go you make you build steel drums and you know damn well that it takes every day just going in another day at a time until, you know, 15 days later, you have something that you can look at with like, okay, that's sort of a steel drum, you know, and then you go another 15 days. And I, th- I appreciate you all taking the time today to do this. I think um, I've certainly learned. I didn't I've learned about Jonathan Haas having more of a connection to the steel band world than I initially ever imagined. But uh, and I've 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 learned a lot. So thank you so much to the both of you. I hope you have a good night and stay safe and stay healthy. You go have anything to say as we sign off
0: uh yeah always wonderful talking with you and guests and uh yeah we'll just continue and uh try to learn as much as we can
1: our next guest is con cordis by the way so um i'm looking forward to uh talking with somebody another person who can play me under the table so that'll be fun um
2: there's a lot of those out there, John.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's everybody I talk to can play me (laughs) under the table. So (laughs) I look forward to every conversation I have. So all right. Thanks again. Have a good night and stay safe. All right. All right. Thanks for the conversation.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And it has a second parcel here, and it's not ringing enough for me.